Hi, this is Stay, and I am your host, Takesha August. On this podcast, you'll hear conversations and content dedicated to trust, love, and honoring our intuition from birth to motherhood, from work to womanhood. Collectively, we will be cultivating peace, joy, confidence, and community, the foundational elements of thriving in a well-lived life, and sharing some laughter along the way. Here's to new patterns, healed hearts, and becoming the masters of our own self-preservation. You are invited to stay with your heart, with your body, and with me. Welcome. Hello and welcome to Stay. I'm Takesha and I'm so excited for the conversation that I'm about to have with one of the smartest humans I have met in a very long time and she's shaking her head. You can't see her, (laughs) but it's so true. Um, Dr. Katie Blake um, is a woman that I've I've known now for I guess a couple of years that we we met in another one of my favorite entrepreneurial spaces online, and we're part of a mastermind together. Um, And we have had so many conversations about our businesses, and to see her evolve into the space that she holds now um, is so incredible to witness. So I will share the official um, intro bio for Dr. Katie Blake. Um, (laughs) and then we're really going to have an incredible conversation, um, that I know is going to go in so many beautiful directions. Um, and I, I just can't wait for y'all to hear what she has to say and to be able to measure your own thoughts and ideas against and alongside what you hear today. So Dr. Katie Blake is a social psychologist and educator whose primary work is helping women navigate navigate the experience, I can read, of deconstruction, (laughs) faith, faith change, and spiritual exile. No heavy things here at all. Right. (laughs) She earned her PhD in social psychology and has over 14 years of experience teaching in colleges and universities. She has taught online courses and has been creating online spaces for over 11 years. She hosts an online community called The Collective for women who are deconstructing religious and cultural programming. Katie is also a 500-hour master's level yoga instructor and has been teaching yoga and meditation for over six years. She is a novice roller skater, so am I, and lives (laughs) in the Texas desert with her husband, Welcome, Katie. I'm so glad that you're here. How are you feeling? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is really probably the podcast I've been the most excited about, just getting the opportunity to talk with a dear friend and someone whom I have so much love and esteem for. And what? You're a novice roller skater? How did I not know you're into roller skating? We need to exchange notes. You know, everyone's into roller skating after this pandemic year. And I I have to say, I was in such a hurry to buy roller skates that if I had waited just a couple of months, I probably right. could have gotten the skates that I wanted at the actual price that they cost instead right. of the Girl. elevated eBay price because I just had to have them so that I can hurry and fall on my bottom in my basement. <laughs> As I resurrected, yes, in style, in <laughs> style. So yeah, I'm I'm so excited. I wish you were closer so that we can like have a roller skating date uh, and you know, I know, be be the the ladies, the adu- the adult ladies out on the roller skates because I'm seeing a lot of the young ones with their yes. like cameras and probably TikToking and whatever the heck is happening out there. But I'm like, yeah. So I need like my full body armor. I need new knee pads and elbow pads. Same. I should show you a picture of myself. My husband laughs at me. But yeah, it's probably more popular there. But here where I live, uh, no one cares about roller skating. And they're always like, "What are you like 12? What you're going out with your roller skates and your knee pads? And I'm like, yeah, don't you want to come? So anyway, I do wish we lived closer so we could share that joy. I know. Oh, my gosh. So um, when we first met, you were focused a lot more on – teaching yoga online, um, 
because I think around the time that we met, I, well, I think that's when the world had probably just shut down, perhaps. Um, or maybe we met before then, before the world shut down. Because I think I did, yeah, you know, my, I, I should probably have my timeline better in my head, but I feel like initially you were teaching mostly yoga in your space. And then at some point you made a pivot to uh, focus on deconstruction. So first of all, please tell my listener what deconstruction is and uh, about the work that you're doing in the world right now. Yeah. So a lot of people have varying definitions for deconstruction. That's actually kind of a hot topic that's happening in our community right now is what do we mean? Are we all saying the same thing? For me, my definition of deconstruction is really three things. It's asking hard questions of religion, of church, of faith, and generally just of like culture and family systems. And it's dismantling those things that don't make sense. Uh, that feel inauthentic, that feel like they lack justice, all of these things. And then lastly, the third piece for me is creating space to build something that feels authentic. So many people deconstruct or they uh, dismantle or they're going through a deprogramming process and they think it's just all about the tearing down. And for me, a really important piece of deconstructing is to pick up the pieces create a beautiful mosaic of something new, and keep pressing forward. So um, yeah, I started out uh, teaching online yoga because I was teaching um, at my local college, psychology classes, and teaching at my local yoga studios, yoga and meditation classes. And people were asking me like, hey, do you have a YouTube channel? You know, how can I work with you um, online with yoga? There are all these great teachers, but I'd love to work with you. And um, so I started out teaching online yoga and that kind of evolved into a spiritual experience where we would talk about issues of psychology in, in the space and we would meditate and we would also explore embodiment. Um, but then I really realized there was this need in this deconstruction community and having been a former pastor's wife, I, um, saw that I could really fulfill that gap and that need. And it has been a beautiful journey ever since. Yeah. So one of the questions that I had in, you know, I, I had not heard of the word deconstruction before you. And so one of the questions that came to my mind when I saw the work you were doing and then saw other people who were, you know, I started looking like well, deconstruction, what does this mean and what's happening? And I saw other people talking about deconstruction and it seemed like the messaging was was different depending on who it, who it was coming from. Um, and having also been raised in the church and, you know, coming to my own uh, personal journey around like what I believe and what I believe in and why I believe what I believe, I've always wondered, like, is deconstruction, the people who are deconstructing, are are they looking to no longer believe in God? I, I guess in this case, like, a, you know, a Christ God, or maybe people are deconstructing from other faiths. I'm not entirely sure how that works. But are, are they looking to, to no longer believe or to determine whether or not they even believe? So what does that usually look like? Who Who is usually drawn to this deconstruction work? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a wide spectrum, and depending upon what voice you're listening to, you're going to get a different message. Um, I don't think that there is a particular person with a particular end goal that is only the type that will deconstruct. Oftentimes for me, what I find in my experience working with women who are deconstructing is they've had some personal experience, something mm -hmm. felt unsettling, something felt out of alignment, and once, uh, this is a great Rob Bell quote, if anyone listening is familiar with Rob Bell, one of my favorite teachers, um, he says, once you see, you can't unsee. And so when people have that experience, when they start asking those questions, there's really no going back. So it depends upon who you hear from in the deconstruction space. Some people label themselves exvangelical, and they are super committed to not returning back to any kind of Christian-oriented faith. For me, my goal is to create an ecumenical, um, and oftentimes that term is used 
uh, for denominations. But for me, I want to create a space that's welcoming to all. There are these progressive Christian spaces. There are the ex-evangelical spaces. But there are a lot of people kind of in the in-between that are Mm -hmm. just spiritually curious. They don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. They're not sure where they're headed or where they even want to land. And it's been really beautiful to say that overtly and to watch the women kind of stream into the space where we have um, Buddhists and we have um, practicing Christians and we have atheists and agnostics and people who don't know and Catholics and those who um, consider themselves more to be mystics. It's really all over the place. And I've had several people ask me before kind of charting out on this journey, is that even possible? Is it possible Mm -hmm. to have a community or a space where people can unite but not really have the same core beliefs? And that was essentially my experiment was to see if that was possible. And I'm here to say that it's possible and it's really, really beautiful. And I really love it. I think it's one of the ways in which we as humans can evolve is to begin to unite around shared experience, um, shared humanity, shared livelihood, and not shared belief systems. Um, And yeah, I think that's one way we can kind of propel the movement of life and beauty forward on this earth is is by, um, you know, uniting around shared experiences where we can find affirmation and find solidarity in um, things other than I believe this and it's the truth and it's the only way. And so I'm a little bit more open than most in the deconstruction community in that sense. Yeah. I love that. I, I've, I've always loved collaborative, um, you know, really diverse spaces. Like it just, it, mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing that I do love about uh, the yoga space. I think you and I have been teaching yoga for around this, the, around the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really great to not only teach people of varying ages and, you know, backgrounds and genders and all of that, um, but to also notice that it's not one-sided like, oh, these people who are coming to yoga are, you know, you have some people who come because it's part of their spiritual practice. You have some people who are right. coming because they just want, you know, stronger abs or whatever. Right. And, but, but when they all enter the space, they're, they have an opportunity to receive whatever you're sharing yeah. and walk away with their own interpretation of that. Yeah. So and good. Yeah. I, I, I love that so much. Um, can you give us an idea of what it looks like on the inside of um, of your experience? So you've got the collective, um, which I believe is like your main um, program or offering or space that you hold for women who are deconstructing. What does it look like on the inside? If it were a physical space, would they be holding hands, kumbayaing? Are you having like, <laughs> like moon circles? Are like, what, what does it look like on the inside? Because you have so much to offer, and I'm so curious um, to w- what people get to experience when they're in there. That's a great question, and it's a unique approach to the question. So I might have to sit with it a little bit or fumble around with my words to kind of think about, yeah, what does it actually physically feel like? Because it's so. Um, counter, uh, intuitive to hold an online space. But yeah, I think my goal is to, um, kind of what I say is to empower women to Mm -hmm. explore this experience of deconstruction because so many of us are told that it's off limits, that it's dangerous, that we shouldn't press in. And I just hope to empower women to press in. And I strive to do that through two ways, through community So community is a huge piece. So it's a lot of like little conversations over here, maybe some people in the corner over there chit-chatting and saying me too. And oh my gosh, I didn't know. I thought I was the only one. And um, so through community and also education, because that's really my skill set is teaching and um, learning and linking arms with people to share ideas, but also glean ideas from other people. So it's this really um, open and non-strict and uh, goal-oriented feel of a classroom, I think, as well, where we're all just sitting down and reading books together, and we meet together on Zoom, and we share ideas, and we bounce ideas off of each other. And um, so for me, I think it's really two buckets. It's that community piece and that education piece. And so we Mm. share what I like to call integrated psychology practices, 
So we'll talk about research, um, which I love to talk about heady academic topics, but then we also balance that out with experiential practices. So things like meditation, things like embodiment. Um, And so typically when I have a workshop experience planned, there's usually a sprinkling of all of those three things, community, the opportunity to be seen, known, and heard, and then a little bit of science and academia and research and education, and then also a little bit of just sitting in meditation or breathing and allowing really personal experience to shine through. I think another thing that happens often in religious spaces particularly is that we look to scripture or texts or um, esteemed teachers. And I think ultimately we are our own teachers as well. And it's important for us to cultivate inner knowing. And um, yeah, so I call it the collective because like you said, you use that great word collaborative. I want it to feel that way. Like there isn't one teacher on the podium barking information, but we're all just linking arms and sharing solidarity and learning from each other. I love that. It sounds like a beautiful safe space. And I I love the notion of kind of eliminating that, the, like that guru mindset or like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's someone, you know, like, like the preacher. Um, When I grew up in church, it was like, you know, the pastor or the preacher or the bishop or whoever could not be touched. They are seen as, you know, or or they are treated as though they are the one being worshipped as opposed to uh, the deity for which we were supposed to be coming to collectively worship and learn about and praise. Um, And it always felt like someone else's agenda um, happening. And so it sounds like you've created a beautiful space where women who – um, just historically in religious spaces, like you said, have been, you know, judged and persecuted and um, often end up being the ones who are essentially the backbone of religious structures, but are not right. treated as such. And so, yeah, I, I love I love this idea where it's, you know, there's no real expectation around like what you're supposed to believe, but like, yeah. let's explore together what we actually believe. And here are some some things to support that exploration. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I see often, and it's a hot topic in the deconstruction community, is that many of us are leaving what you're describing, um, places where there's one person in a position of authority who is delegating all of the information and what you should believe and what you should do and how you should behave and what you should wear. And so when many of us leave that space, that's what feels comfortable. So we're leaving and entering into a new space and looking for that same leader or guru, as you said, which I love talking in that way and using that term, or person of authority to kind of tell us what to do next. And um, as a social psychologist, I just know that's a really unhealthy posture. And it's an unhealthy... Yeah, yeah. But so many of us were socialized to look for that. So I'm really hoping to change the expectations in the culture and the deconstruction community to say, no, no, like you are the inner authority of your own life and you can look to other people for guides and for wisdom and and to learn. Um, But essentially look to yourself for the ultimate, you know, pastoral or um, guru-esque direction. Yeah, like just totally eliminating that like enmeshment experience yes. of of being and look, I'm going to bring out my my uh psychological words from <laughs> when I spent too much time in school studying psychology I love and it. and not a degree. <laughs> but I I always I was always so fascinated by that concept of enmeshment and how it related to a family structure and how we kind of mimic mm. that in everywhere else in life. So whether it's in our church environment or, you know, religious environment or our work environments, Mm -hmm. and we kind of outsource the thinking part and the rational, the rational component of, you know, the work we're doing and what we believe and what we eat. Like everyone kind of wants to outsource, like someone tell me, someone tell me what to eat, someone tell me what to do. Um, In in the case of, you know, the the people that I work with um, who Many of them happen to be pregnant or just had babies. They're they're used to um, seeking whatever the midwife or the doctor says. Well, they said this about my body or my experience, and I guess I should just believe them because right. they've got a coat or they've got a degree or they've got you know I, I'm just supposed to. And it sounds like you're really supporting this cultural shift that's so necessary 
for women to reclaim ownership over their their mind, their hearts, their experiences in these like flesh suits. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, and and I would imagine that they're showing up in the rest of their lives very differently as a result of this work too. Oh my yeah. gosh, this sounds so exciting. So I mean, you, you talked to a bit about these women and what they get on the inside. I'm really curious, like what brought you yourself? I mean, you said you were a pastor's wife. Um, I know in a lot of instances where I've observed, you know, a pastor, there can be a lot of ego around being a pastor's wife and even being a pastor, you know, people are looking to you. You should be the one They want to dress like you, talk like you, look like you, parent like you, whatever. Um, So tell me a little bit about the transition from, that energetic role of like, I'm holding this space as a pastor's wife and how, you know, and what brought you personally to this, to your own work first before you wanted to support other people in this work? Yeah, for sure. I think I've always been a little deconstructionist. Um, If I really think back even to childhood, um, I grew up in a very fundamentalist version of the Church of Christ And so there's like no instruments, there's no women doing anything in any kind of formal capacity of leadership. And I think I was always able to um, kind of call BS on some of that stuff and tap into an inner knowing that um, it all felt kind of wrong and out of alignment. But I was never really doing that publicly. And I always felt like there was um, some freedom around it, but also some communal shame around it if I were to really admit it. Um, So yeah, I ended up going to a large state university and there I met a really diverse um, population of people. Having come from a small town in Texas to a large university, one of the biggest in the United States, and then going on to graduate school to one of the most diverse colleges in the entire country. And it was really a beautiful turning point for me to meet people from different faiths and different backgrounds and to find the wisdom that they had to hold that they could um, share with me and, and that I could share with them and that we could be in these really beautiful communal relationships. And um, so that was a turning point. I in graduate school, met my husband, and he was a minister in the Church of Christ. And so I fell in love and found myself back in that stream of the Church of Christ. And we got married, and I was in the f- official leadership capacity as a pastor's wife. And that's when things really um, were on steroids for me, I guess I would say. Because once you're in a position of leadership like that, you begin to have access to that curtain that you can peek back behind a little bit more. And it wasn't necessarily, I mean, some of the things that I began to observe were specific to the church that I was a part of. But I think a lot of those things were just generally about the church structure that I now had access to really see how the inner workings existed, how things functioned, um, you know, what the main motivators and goals were for people in positions of ministry. And a lot of that really troubled me. And so I was wrestling with that as my husband was in ministry and then um, just completely unconnected. He decided to start a small business. And so he left ministry officially. He was a little kind of tired and burnt out as well. And so we decided to take this new path. And once I left Um, an official position of leadership in the church, it was like the bottom fell out for me. I was finally able to have the freedom to ask the questions and to allow myself to press into those questions because there wasn't quite the same um, societal pressure to go along just to get along. Now I could ask those questions and I wouldn't be burned at the stake for asking them, right? And so in my church specifically, I was in relationship with a lot of friends, um, People younger than me, uh, we were doing college ministry, so I was really connected um, with people that felt like they were my age, but I was much older than. And I noticed that a lot of people were going through this experience that I didn't have the language for at the time, which was deconstruction. They were asking questions about the Bible, about faith, about church structures. And so I guess in an unofficial capacity, I was really in relationship and, um, and in communication with them through their hardships. And um, 
So that was organically taking place. And uh, my husband and I, even though we weren't in leadership any longer, people still looked to us as stewards, I guess. And so we were trying to lead kind of this growing movement of people who felt dissatisfied. And um, once that movement kind of came to a culmination, we decided to leave our church. I was like, wow, there is really a deep need for this in folks. And I think that this for me goes beyond just my local community. And this may be a way in which I can help people all over the place, which is what I love about online work because there's people in our community. Uh, one woman lives in Zambia. One woman lives in Paris. Oh. You know, it's across the country. And I love that because I feel like deconstruction is such an opportunity for us to have open minds and open hands. And if we can create a more diverse space that's even internationally diverse, then there's just so much more opportunity for that open handedness. Um, so I feel like I kind of bounced around. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So, I mean, what I also heard is um, in your husband making a shift in his own life and, you know, what what often happens as women who are partnered in, you know, heterosexual partnerships and marriages, we tend to default to, you know, which is which is part of like a lot of religious and patriarchal teaching and structures. Like I will follow the lead of my partner. I will, you know, I will try to get in where I fit in, even though I was already sort of questioning, I was already in this space, but okay, I'm going to like step into this place of leadership because he is the leader of our household and all of that. Um, And so I do have, uh, I am wondering when your husband, you know, of course, his his burnout, which I totally get being raised by a pastor, how that burnout ensues. Right. But when you started on this path of deconstructing, was he willing to come along with you at all in conversation? Um, did he look at you like you'd lost your mind? <laughs> um, you know, as, as much as you're willing to share, like how did that feel on your end mm. as you were taking your journey? Did you feel, you know, supported um, or did you kind of feel like you had to go out there and learn on your own first so that you can then, you know, bring back whatever you learned to him. Tell me a little bit about how, how that felt logistically. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one of the reasons I decided to officially move into this work, because for me, I suffered in silence for a really long time. I did not talk to anyone about what I was going through. I didn't even talk to my husband for years and years and years about the truth and, um, you know, just the, authenticity of what I was experiencing. I stumbled upon a podcast, which is why I love and support podcasts um, because they really elevate people's stories. And this whole podcast was about deconstruction. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. And I'm not the only one. And there's this collective body of people out there who are doing this. So I had parasocial support, I guess you could say, where there was this knowing that other people were experiencing that. And that was really emboldening and really empowering. But as far as in my um, face-to-face direct life, I was not talking to anyone. And that was a really dark time for me. And so when I talk to women who are deconstructing, I find that that's the same story for many of them, where the final key, the final piece for them is to talk to their spouse about this. And that's ultimately the most fearful thing in their life. Like they're willing to talk to their parents, they're willing to talk to their friends, even their pastors, but to talk to their spouses, it's really scary because what if that person doesn't get it? What if that person is angry with you? Whatever their emotions might be, there are so many question marks. So yeah, I um, really didn't give him the credit that he deserved, I guess. I thought he was going to be really upset with me. And I created all of these, as Brene Brown would say, stories in my head about what was going to happen. And then finally one day I was like, hey, look, here's what's going on, Um, you know, as things kind of unfolded in our church and it felt a little more organic. And he was like, yeah, okay. And, Um, and so that was a really important turning point for me. And so I hope to create community for women who want to talk about it, want to not feel alone, want to be able to explore and um, give them the sense of power and the sense of um, 
you know, real support that they can go and talk to those people in their lives. But there is, I think, this liminal space where many yeah. people exist before they're ready to talk to those who are um, they're in relationship with, where the consequences could be really um, impactful. Yeah, if it doesn't go well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And so you know, you've known me long enough to know that like I I kind of think in birth analogies, right? Right. <laughs> and like the phases of birth and and you know and how and pregnancy and how, you know, we can be holding something that we don't necessarily want to expose yet because we're not really sure if it's viable. We don't know like is it going to stick if it fails? You know, people will think one thing and they'll have this perception of me and then we kind of get to a place where we feel like okay, I'm showing, I can tell people I, I feel the support of people in one way or the other. Um, you know, then we reach this third trimester, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to burst. I want to tell everyone about it mm-hmm. or I'm kind of over, you know, what I thought to be true. Now I'm for sure certain that this new thing is happening. And then we go through the phases of birth, right? And I, I feel like, I feel like birth, pregnancy and birth just in general are these analogies or, or like this this moving parable for us to kind of see ourselves through because we've yeah. all gone through a birth experience at whether we were birthed or, right. or we birthed someone. Um, and so I, I, I love this concept of being reborn into what we believe and, and going through that process of sharing what we believe and knowing for ourselves to be true and really reconciling with what's happening, what's growing on the inside. And I'm curious, um, like, can you speak to like what it looks like or, or what it might mean for someone to kind of be reborn in this, in this way to, um, step into a new belief and, you know, even in that, like what you have found for yourself to believe, like coming from, uh, you know, a church of Christ type of situation where a lot of times our, our values are based off of what we believe. So right. like what parts of you were reborn and what, what does that rebirth, like, can you just kind of speak to rebirth just kind of in general as it relates to this experience? Yeah, for sure. I, I love this analogy and I feel like it resonates so well with the experience of faith change. Um, Having had a background in psychology, I know how important identity is to human development. And um, so many times we think of identity as happening in one moment of time in our life. So you develop who you are. That's who you are. It remains stable throughout the rest of your life. That's what many of us believe. In fact, psych research actually shows that most people want to appear consistent throughout their lifetimes. And I think that definitely rings true in terms of identity, where it's like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I'm about. And this should be unchanging. But everything that we know about life and about what it means to be human is that we're constantly growing and changing. And if you just even look around at all of the life in the universe, I mean, even the universe is constantly growing and evolving and expanding. So why would we expect that of like the tree or the flower or the plant or the garden or the universe and not expect that of ourselves? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I love to encourage women to see is that it's a constant evolving process to be a woman and to be a human. And um, I think that there is this idea that we are birthed, you know, once, maybe even as a young child or as a teenager, when we go through this process of identity development, and that's it. Like we continue along that path. But I like to think of life as being this ever evolving process of birthing something and then something dies And then something is rebirthed, and then something again dies, right? Um, So there's a really great Bell Hooks quote that I wrote down because I was hoping we would talk about this today. Oh my gosh, like please. (laughs) And um, I think this is from her book, All About Love, which is like a must read for everyone. Mm -hmm. But she says this yes, it should be required reading for all humans. Um, She says this For me, the spiritual path has always been learning how to die. That involves not just death at the end of this particular life, but all the falling apart that happens continually. The fear of death, which is also the fear of grounded, groundlessness, of insecurity, of not having it all together, seems to be the most fundamental thing that we have to work with. 
But because these endings happen all the time, things are always ending and arising and ending, but we are strangely conditioned to feel that we're supposed to experience just the birth part and not the death part. So I think it's really helpful to think about your spiritual life or even deconstruction and spiritual crisis or faith change as this continual ending and arising and ending. I love that she's given language to that. Um, because it's a constant. I think it truly never ends to believe that you're going to birth yourself into something and you're going to arrive and that's going to be the thing. And these are your beliefs and this is the new way you're going to live the rest of your life. It's just not grounded in what it means to be human. And so to allow ourselves to be more open to that fluidity of who we are in our spirituality, I think is really healthy and helpful. I love that. Oh my gosh. So basically what you're saying is the people who have the opportunity to be in these in the space that you hold online are so lucky <laughs> to have to have you and and your I know and seriously because you know I've, I've seen a lot of people hold spaces in person and online who are um they are also growing and learning but doing so in a very non-cohesive way or in in a in a way that doesn't feel as though like I really deeply desire for people to feel this freedom and to have this knowledge for themselves. Mm. A lot of times they kind of position themselves in the same manner of the the structure that we try to walk away from as Mm -hmm. I know more, I'm up here on the mountaintop, I've arrived, you should want to arrive like me and be like me. Right. Um, And I, I just love your approach to kind of sitting in circle to being in a collective um, and to recognizing that there is so much brilliance and genius, not just in the space that you hold, um, but internationally. And especially during a time where women of all colors and backgrounds and beliefs really thirst for safe spaces to be themselves. Um, I personally, just as a black woman, um, always looking to be, especially in yoga spaces, always recognizing like, I'm definitely the only one here or I'm definitely the only one, you know, and then going to my, you know, my church environment and being treated like, oh, well, what do you believe? You're doing that yoga stuff and like receiving that judgment and then entering into all the different spaces in which I hold as a woman, as a woman of color, as a black woman, um, and to just know that, oh my gosh, I'm going to be judged for something in one space. And then you have this environment virtually where people can show up, can, you know, come where English may not even be their first language, let alone, you know, Christianity being, you know, their, their religion of their foundational religion or their original worldview. Right. Um, and then you also being a, a social psychologist, like it, it's so evident in your, in your love for research and <laughs> and being able to present all these really great truths that also don't seem to make people feel judged mm. by like oh well here is here is some evidence that suggests that you've been wrong for all this time right. or that what you believe now is wrong and let me fix that for right. you um so yeah I, and so in saying all that how can if someone listening to this is like, oh my God, I've really been longing for something like this, how can they work with you right now? Yeah. So the way that I'm working with women currently is through The Collective. Um, it's a community where you can come join us for $8 a month. Um, my Wait, $8? Yep. <laughs> $8 a month? Okay. So like everybody listening <laughs> essentially needs to join this for at least a whole year. Okay. And then then how else? What else? Yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to create a space that was really accessible um, where it felt like an easy yes for folks to just come in and and to feel it out. And, you know, if it's for you, great. And if it's not, I'm certain there's a space out there that is for you. Um, But yeah, so that is my primary um, work that I'm doing right now. And we meet once a month on Zoom. We have a 90-minute workshop where we just kind of talk collaboratively um, about our experiences and about, like I said, research and um, uh, information. But then also we always have some kind of experiential practice. 
Um, and then typically every month, I think I might shift to every other month, I'm inviting a guest speaker to come in. So in the future, um, coming up, we have Kat Armas, who wrote a wonderful book called Abuelita Faith about her experience um, in Christianity and with her grandmother is a really lovely book. And then Hillary McBride, Dr. Hillary McBride, I should say, is coming to join us in November, and she is an embodiment um, just expert, just a wonderful human being. And um, I make playlists for my women every month as little love letters, and then uh, we have a recommended read. And so we just kind of sit around the table and talk about the book that we're reading and um, share what's happening in our lives every Sunday. We kind of check in and everybody talks about what they're doing on their Sunday, whether they're going to church or whether they're not. And so, yeah, that's my primary work that I'm doing in the world. I love that. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that it's so easy for people to just jump in and start doing this work because... It, it it doesn't feel trendy. I don't want to say trendy, but it's like I've noticed it happening for a while and I've noticed a, a very obvious shift in the way that a lot of churches in my you know region are kind of functioning and their messaging is needing to be reexamined around like what is the lesson? Like what are we teaching? What are we wanting people to believe about themselves? Um and, and in this pandemic environment that we are still currently living in, um, really needing to know for ourselves, like, what, where do I stand on the things? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what do I believe? What do I believe about people who look like me and don't look like me? What do I believe about right. what I put in my body and what I choose not to and what that means? And, and this examination of, like, even the word sovereignty that we hear a mm-hmm. lot in wellness spaces but seems to have been um, – mutilated in a right. way that that seems ugly for people who can really embody what the word sovereignty means and can connect with its origins. Um, so yeah, I, I'm so I'm so excited about this work. Even just like for myself, I will say that I um I have like a very integrated daily you know spiritual practice where I love it. You know, I will still read you know, parts of my Bible and then sit in meditation about it and in listening. Like, so what does this actually mean? Because in my experience, I don't know what your experience was, but a lot of the stories in the Bible were kind of used to teach me a lesson of how I should not behave. And, you know, I, I, I found that my relationship with, with the God of my understanding, um, which is still more or less a a Christian, you know, worldview God, but without the Christian uh, word or language. I'm not sure, but, (laughs) um, uh, but like, I was so afraid, like, oh my God, I better be good or I'm going to hell. I better do this right or I'm going to hell. Yeah. It's just so fear-based. And in my own personal experience, I have known, um, the God that I pray to, to be so loving and so forgiving and so compassionate. And that is not what I felt reflected or even what I see a lot of times, especially living in a woman's body. I've never been married, but I have a child and that's scandalous, even though I was pregnant at 30. You know, just those types of stories around like, oh, well, when are you getting married? Like, never. (laughs) 100%. So, you know, just always just recognizing how it must feel for people who aren't deeper in, um, you know, a religious study or practice or aren't close enough to it as maybe you or I may have been in in the way we grew up or, you know, our partnerships or my relationship to my grandmother and yours to your husband. And like just that, that vantage point of like, oh, this is what it feels like behind the curtain and in front of the curtain. I, I worry Mm -hmm. to a degree about people not feeling, um, you know, what is, what is intended by, the divine, you know, spirituality, God, whatever, because yeah. of hu- the humans that get all up in the mix and try to make us feel like we're dirty and bad and going to hell and you're good if and you're bad if and and all the stuff that gets all intermingled. Yeah. Um, if if someone listening to this has been going through their own experience of like, oh my God, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I'm looking at the world and there's so much chaos and there's so much 
you know, destruction and evil and, and all kinds of things. Like, but they, but they're longing to establish some kind of, um, I guess, grounding or stability around what they even believe. Like, do you have any guidance for like what, what might be next for them? Like what direction might they go in to even explore what they believe and, and how to feel safe in, in wherever they, they fall in that belief? Yeah, I think for me, I always like to remind others and myself that my goal is not to tell people what to believe, Mm -hmm. but it's to use my experience and my training in a way that's giving back so that I can give people tools and community to begin to explore that and ask those questions. Because I think a huge piece of it is just setting up the foundation for yourself to feel the freedom, the safety to go and ask those questions and to find your own answers, right? Because we've been talking about how it's um, not a good plan to look to other people to give us those answers. And so I think I always love to encourage women to consider that foundation. And so for me, that foundation really includes a couple of things. It's identity. So really spending the time to get to know yourself and to figure out who you are. For so many of us who grew up in the church, we weren't allowed the opportunity for that identity exploration. We were kind of told who we're supposed to be, and we were handed figurative and literal uh, uniforms, right? Like, this is who we are. This is what we're supposed to do. Go out and do it. And so I think it's, um, first, giving yourself the opportunity to explore that identity and who you are and what makes you tick and what feels good and what's life-giving and what's not. And then setting boundaries, I think, is huge. Um, And for so many of us, that's the most complex piece because relationships get really hard. It's tough, especially when you are um, ascribing to viewpoints or asking questions that are unpopular. And one thing that you and I um, share, I think, is really important for building this foundation is finding grounding rituals. So whether Mm -hmm. that's like you're talking about waking up in the morning and reading a sacred text, which you know, I would argue any book can really be a sacred text. So find the one that speaks to you, right? The Bible or the Bhagavad, you know, whatever it is. And, um, or the latest book from, I don't know, Sumant Kid or whatever. And find that um, practice, those rituals that really help you find that groundedness in life, whether it's yoga or lighting a candle or um, drinking tea mindfully in the morning. There are so many simple things that you can do. Um, so yeah, for me, I think those are three really great steps to start to consider, to think about, to build this foundation that will set you up for the opportunity to go and explore those bigger things. Because if you just jump into the deep end head first without establishing some of these, um, necessities for feeling safe and for feeling free to ask the questions and have the exploration, um, it could be a little bit more messy than if you were to explore the identity and make space for yourself and set the boundaries and find those grounding rituals. I think those things are super important. I love that. And you alluded to this a little bit, but I will ask this question anyway, just so that we are clear, because you know, here we are talking about um, just overall the purpose of this space, this podcast space, is to help the listener develop tools for really staying with themselves. Those pings that are like, gosh, what do I believe? Or this hard thing that I'm going through, like, do I run from how I feel? Do I stay with how I feel? Do I trust my intuition? Do I, do I trust my body even? So I'm wondering um, what practices you yourself lean on when you need to stay with yourself? Um, How do you stay with yourself when life is challenging or when you're being called to move out of your comfort zone? Yeah, yoga was huge for me. I've been practicing yoga since 2003, but it really did not solidify for me until I went to yoga teacher training. And it was like, oh, this is the practice. And I began to um, really understand the beauty of the tradition and the beauty of the practice. And one of the gifts that it gave me through yoga teacher training was being able to stay with myself just exactly. I mean, those words are so beautiful and so spot on to uh, 
the gift that the yoga practice has given me to be a, a student of yoga um, has allowed me the opportunity to have those tools to stay with myself. And for me, probably the prevailing one is learning how to breathe for anxiety and stress. That was huge for me. Um, and the power that that gave me, because I feel like we are taught that we are so powerless over our minds and our bodies, especially in um, religious circles, or I should say Western Christianity specifically. I should speak to that. Um, where it's like, okay, you have to take captive of your thoughts. You know, you got to like put a cage on them and your bodies especially, like <laughs> never trust your body, right? Mm. And here I learned this practice, which by the way, in psychology, they call biofeedback. So it's essentially the same practice as mindful breathing or pranayama and yoga. And it's a tool that I have at any given moment. I don't need anything but myself, right? I don't need a book. I don't need a person. I don't need a leader. I don't need a guru. I need myself to be able to stop and breathe mindfully. And it literally takes 15 to 30 seconds to take yourself from stress and anxiety to peace and calm and groundedness and to be in touch with yourself, right? And to stay with yourself and to stay with the moment. Um, so that's it for me. I mean, it's super simple. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, lastly, I will say that we are essentially the same person because (laughs) I also started practicing yoga in 2003. How funny. And we probably did yoga teacher training around the same time. And that's where I deepened into like, oh, so it is more than this. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're roller skating. We've been, you know, (laughs) Enneagram fives, Enneagram fives. Yes. If you do not know what your Enneagram number is, go discover that. I love all the boxes I can place my personality in for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But thank you so much, Katie, for taking the time to share with us your beautiful and brilliant mind. Um, and listener, I, I hope that you have um, gained not only some understanding, but some really great comfort in whatever level of journey you might be on in discovering what you believe, where you stand, who you are, all of that self-discovery that we never outgrow. Um, mm-hmm. And I encourage you to seek out seek out uh, Katie and her work. And I, I will place uh, the link to, to her um, collective community in the show notes for you to explore on your own. Um, and where in the, on the interwebs can people find you outside of joining the collective? Yeah. So my website is drdrkatieblake.com and you can find me on all of the socials at Dr. Katie Blake, including TikTok, but really I don't do anything on there. I just, uh, Roller skating roller on skaters <laughs> <laughs> and roller skating, um, yeah, tips and tricks and and uh, what do you call it? Where they teach you how to do all the fun things. Yeah, <laughs> so I just that's I want on TikTok. I want to be a dance skater. Like it Me looks too. so easy. It looks so simple. And I put on my skates and I started dancing and immediately lost my feet from under me. I know. Um, and so I have a great appreciation for this. Me too. Um, if you ever want to have a Zoom skating date with our computers far enough away so that we don't break anything, let Let's me know. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. This has been a real treat. And I am, it's just a joy to know you and um, to watch you navigate the world and do the work that you're doing. It's really a pleasure to be in your space energetically. And um, I'm just excited to see how this new venture goes with your podcast. So all the love to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Take care. Mm -hmm.